Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning, church. How is everyone today? Good to see everyone. Welcome to Arden. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to everyone online. How many of you have recovered from Easter week? All right, a lot of you are still a little tired, all the family get-togethers. Uh, first of all, I wanted to thank you guys for everyone that volunteered or served. If you helped out in some capacity, I want you to stand. We just want to recognize you just briefly. We had over 70 volunteers, so go ahead and stand. Don't be bashful. Go ahead and stand. Let's give them a hand. We just want to thank you guys. And in ministry, it's so easy to go from one thing to the next without just pausing to celebrate, just to thank God and thank Him for His victory. So we had over 70 volunteers. Uh, as you guys know, we had three baptisms uh, this past week, which was really amazing. We had three new professions of faith. And Amy's already starting to got an email this week about someone else wanting to get baptized. So it's exciting just to see God move and lives and hearts uh, being changed. So I believe that art and the best days are in front of us. I kind of sense in my spirit that something big is about to happen and we've just got to get ready for it. And I want to give you guys a new title, a new job description. You ready for it? You guys are heaven's party starters. Because what happens on earth when someone goes from death to life, when someone goes from sinner to saint, when someone goes from hopeless to hopeful, the Bible says every time someone down here gets saved on earth, it triggers a party in heaven. So you guys are now officially heaven's party starters. So you can put that on your Facebook description. My job is I'm a heaven party starter. The Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of angels whenever someone accepts Christ. And you're like, well, what is that rejoicing? Who does that involve? We know it's at least God and the angels. But I also believe that the redeemed saints who have gone on before... Did you realize that we're one family in two locations? We have a family here on earth and we have a family in heaven. And one day those two families will become one family. But right now we're one family in two locations. But I believe that your redeemed loved ones who have gone on to heaven, every time something redemptive happens, Hebrews 12 tells us that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And who is that crowd? It's those who have died in faith, those who are currently in the presence of God. So that's, that's really exciting. Wanted to encourage you about the gospel conversations. A lot of you have asked, as you know, our goal is a thousand gospel conversations. And you're like, what constitutes a gospel conversation? Do you have to have a sit down, go through the, the four spiritual laws? Is it E? I mean, what, what do all of that involve? And I just want to kind of clarify, it's an attempt. So if you attempt to have a gospel conversation, it counts as an attempt. So let us know. Email the church office. One simple tool that the church created for, for this is on our website, we have a video called This Changes Everything, and it's a three-minute gospel presentation. How many of you have seen that video? Raise your hand. All right, well, that's you can simply text that to your neighbors, your friends. I text, uh, it was on Good Friday, I text all of my neighbors, I'm looking at three of them, cows don't count. I text them that video, and I was like, hey, let me know your thoughts, and every single one responded, 
And one even said they're going to share it with their friends. So that's kind of, we're trying to initiate conversations about Christ and the gospel and, and that sort of thing. So I want to encourage you to do that. We're going to be in Acts 20. We finished our Easter series. We're back in the book of Acts. For those of you who are just joining us, we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. So what is really cool about that, it, it kind of gives you the full counsel of God. But also as a pastor, it's kind of good for me because I'll hit certain topics and somebody like, you stepped on my toes today. I didn't know. It's just the next topic, the next passage. So today's passage is, is going to be something that's going to be an encouraging one. How many of you have had a discouraging month? How many of you have had a discouraging year? Is there anyone that would say, Timothy, I've been stressed out to the max the past year or two. I've, I've suffered from depression. There are days where I just wanted to get in the fetal position and crawl up and eat bonbons on the couch and watch some Lifetime movie. There could be guys too, not as ladies. <laughs> so if you've ever felt stressed out, discouraged, you are in good company because the passage today out of Acts 19, if you guys remember, Paul is basically putting out the idol business in Ephesus and they were making silver shrines of the goddess Diana, also known as Artemis. And the people that were entrepreneurs got upset at Paul and they're like, you're shutting us down. So they started a riot in the city of Ephesus. And that's where we picked up in verse chapter 20, verse 1. It says, after the uproar had ceased, talking about the Ephesus uproar, Paul called the disciples to himself and he said, you know what, guys, ministry would be good if it weren't for the people. I'm going to quit. Ministry's too hard. I'm just going to, you know, cruise on somewhere in Jerusalem. No. Well, what did he say? He embraced them and he departed to go again to Macedonia. So Paul's continuing on in the work of God. He doesn't doesn't give up. Verse two. Now, when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and he stayed there three months. But notice what happens again. Paul just came out of one riot. And guess what? And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to go again through Macedonia. So Paul, everywhere he goes, it's been said jokingly that he he finds out where the nearest prison is because he's going to end up in there or he's going to end up with a death threat. That's, that's Paul's ministry. Sounds like a job that most of us would not sign up for. Notice that he says he decided to return through Macedonia, verse 4, and Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Sudunus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. These men going on ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now, before we read verse 7, we got to kind of recap the days of unleavened bread. And then when you talk about the Passover, the Passover, the Sunday following the Passover is the big day we celebrate called what? Easter, right? So this is interesting. We're not, we're not sure if there's any time lapse, but if there's no time lapse and it just carries on, then this is right around Easter season. And what about is about to happen is kind of interesting because what happened on Easter? Jesus rose from the dead. And guess what's going to happen in this passage? Read with me, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when is the first day of the week? 
Sunday. So we see the early church meeting on Sunday now. When the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, I just want to ask the question, when did the 30-minute sermon got invented, right? Paul didn't get the clue. (laughs) This guy's preaching until midnight. It said there sat, verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And a window, and in a window, sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, if you have the NIV, it's kind of comical. It's like Paul spoke on and on and on. He kept preaching. So while Paul's preaching through the night hours, Eutychus, it says, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now, before we read verse 10, keep in mind, the author of this, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is Dr. Luke. So there is a medical doctor that confirmed Eutychus was dead. So he was confirmed dead. Verse 10, but Paul went down, he fell on him, and embracing him said, do not trouble yourself, for his life is in him. Now, when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even until daybreak. So get this, they have a meal at midnight-ish, and then Paul preaches through the night all the way to the next day. That's probably the longest one of the longest sermons in the Bible. It says, he departed, and they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Let's pray over God's word. Father, what a fascinating story, how Paul, in Acts 19, leaves Ephesus out of a riot, He finds himself in another death threat and then someone dies and he's raised from the dead around Easter season and all this is just fascinating. So Father, I want to pray for the soul that's suffocating today. Maybe they're stressed. I want to pray for the one that's discouraged. I pray for for the one that wants to quit, that they would read this passage and they would see a bold man that doesn't quit. They would see a bold man that doesn't give up and they would find hope from the scriptures not to give up. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Today's message is called keep on keeping on. Look at the person next to you and say keep on keeping on. If you weren't awake, you are now. I want to give you five breaths of fresh air for the soul that's suffocating. So I want everyone to take a deep breath. Go ahead. Online, in your house, hard and on the go, take a deep breath. All right. So the first breath of fresh air, this is when you find yourself discouraged. Number one, encourage others even when you're the one who needs it the most. Encourage others even when you're the one who needs it the most. Look back at verse one. After the uproar had ceased, it had been so easy for Paul to say, man, everywhere I've been, first missionary journey, second missionary journey, third missionary journey, they're trying to kill me. They're trying to throw me out of town. In some cities, the women don't like me. They're throwing me out of town. It'd be so easy just to quit, just to give up. But Paul, instead of giving up, he continues on with his mission. So this week, I had one of the worst weeks probably in the past year or two. And if if I could be a little vulnerable on stage, it was one of those weeks uh, from Hades where it's like every day you're stepping on another time bomb. Anybody ever been through those weeks? And it's interesting, it came right out of Easter, right after all the salvations, record attendance, all the praise reports. It was just like every day was like an explosion. So I cannot share all the stories, but one I can share. 
I went to the dentist. And uh, if you're in the dentistry, I just want to say I love dentists. I love hygienists. You guys are amazing. However, there are horror stories. So I went for a 15-minute procedure. I have a, a crown on one of my bottom left tooth teeth. And uh, I ate some candy, which I love candy. It was sticky, so I pulled the crown out. So I went to the dentist to just get it sit, resealed. It should take 15 minutes. So I was greeted by a young lady that I had never met before. I found out later she was like an intern in training. And she was working on me by herself. And with this story, you'll, you'll see where this info will come in. No one asked my permission if the intern could work on me. Okay, that's generally someone in training, can they work on you? So... She proceeds to try to get the crown off, and she's so learning that she doesn't know kind of what to do. She's like, I don't, I don't, I feel kind of, I don't know if I want to get this off. Can you take it off yourself? So here I am laying my face towards the heavens on my backside, feet in the air. Can you extricate your own tooth, your own crown? And I didn't say anything out loud, but internally I'm thinking, I'm paying you If I could do it myself, I would have done it and saved the money, right? So I'm like, as nice as I can, I'm like, I I know, I'm not going to tell you where the dentist is. I can't say it. I'll get sued. But I was like, "Um, I I can't do that. I'm sorry. As nice as I could. So she went to get the real dentist. The real dentist comes in and within five seconds, the tooth, piece of floss, it pops off. And instead of popping off in her hand, it flies soaring through the air. It lands on the dirty floor next to the dirty shoes. And here's the thing. That sometimes... Has, any, has that happened to anybody before the dentist's office? I've heard it sometimes happens, right? No one in the two services, no one's raised their hand. But here's the thing. They didn't tell me the crown laid on the floor. They act like it didn't happen. They kind of picked it up. Can you get some sanitizer? Get some solution? And they're back there rubbing this crown. And, you know, generally the protocol is, I'm sorry, Mr. Brown, but your crown has fallen on the floor, but it's not chipped, it's not damaged. And the reason why I know this, by the way, I have another dentist friend to ask that explained those. They're like, that's horrible. The protocol is when this happens, you explain it's not chipped, it's not damaged. So anyways, they proceed to take the recently sanitized, fresh off the floor crown, and they put some of that cement. How many of you have ever had the cement in your mouth? It tastes horrible. They, they, they put it in. And they, they put it on my lower tooth and they, they proceed to take this bright light and the dentist is like, don't do it, it's too soon. So they flash the light away and this is like sealing supposedly and they finally get it and five minutes later I bite down and I can't close my mouth. The crown is now raised above the other two teeth and I'm like, ma'am, uh, at this point I'm, I'm having like a, a crisis here. You know, my life is flashing before my eyes, so to speak, and I'm like... I'm talking to the dentist. I'm like, ma'am, the intern's right there. And I'm like, I can't close my mouth. And this crown was perfectly fitting before. All I needed is a little sealant. And now, and she's like, she calls the intern away and she whispers to me, she's in training and I don't want to hurt her feelings. But she, she, she made a mistake. And, and I'm like, okay. And I found out later from another, my other dentist friend who I should have went to, uh, he said what happened is they put too much semen in it and they didn't cure the tooth. You're supposed to cure it, you know, bite on the cotton ball. So, and they're like, we're so sorry, Mr. Brown, but now we're going to have to cut out the crown because the semen's already dried. So they, they proceed to get out this drill and they're drilling a perfectly fitting crown previously. They have to tear it apart 
throw in the trash can. They have to scrape all the cement out of my gums. My jaw is still a little sore uh, today. This happened on Thursday. And an hour and a half later, they're like, you can come back in two weeks and you'll get your permanent crown. I'm like, I have to come back after all this. And here's the thing. I'm not going to give up going to the dentist, right? I'm just going to change dentist after this. After I get this completed, I'm not going back to that dentist again. So here's the point of the story. You're like, why are you telling this dramatic story? Well, it's sometimes you have pain that you did not predict. Sometimes you step on a time bomb that you didn't. It's one thing if you know it's coming, right? The Bible says a prudent person foresees danger, takes precaution. But sometimes you just you didn't see it coming. How many of you have ever had pain that you didn't see coming? A crisis that was not planned. Aren't most crises unplanned? Right? Most of them are, right? You just didn't see it coming. And here's what you got to do, what you got to get in your mind. I had to remind myself, even though I had the week from Hades, I, I got to get up on Sunday and encourage you. Even when you are discouraged, you still have to encourage others. The reason why is God's got a calling. He's got a plan for all of us. And here's the lesson I took from that horrible story in that horrible week. Is that what you got to do is keep on keeping on. What you got to do is keep your eyes fixed and focus on Jesus. Because the life will proverbially punch you in the gut, smack you in the face. And literally, sometimes you'll get punched in the jaw. I did at the dentist. But you know what? You have to keep on keeping on. All right. Take a deep breath. All right. We're getting ready to go to point two. But there's one thing I need to mention about Paul. This is on your listening guide. Number one, this is under point one. He was intentional about his ministry. Notice he called his disciples to himself. He could have said, you know what? Forget this. Ministry would be so easy if it weren't for the... People, but he didn't say that. He called, he called the disciples, but he was also relational. Paul gets a bad rap. How many of you ever heard Paul was like kind of disgruntled, black and white thinker, wasn't a very nice guy? That's not true. He was very relational. Notice it says he embraced them. So he was intentional, he was relational, but he was also missional. Notice he went through, back through Macedonia to build up the new believers. So I want you to write this life principle down and we'll go into the second truth. Here's a life principle I want you guys to register. You are either in a storm, you're either coming out of a storm, or guess what? You're getting ready to go into a storm. I'll say that again. You're either currently in a storm, you're just coming out of a storm, or you're getting ready to go into another storm. And you're like, Timothy, how is that encouraging? You said you're going to encourage us today. Stay tuned. We're not done yet. Number two, second truth, second Breath of fresh air for the suffocating soul. Number two, build others up when you feel torn down. How many of you have ever felt torn down from the ground up? And you're just like, I've got to be a mom. I've got to be a dad. I've got to be a friend. I've got to be a coworker. I've got to be a boss. I've got to be an employer. I've got to. And it's like, you've got, you've got stuff to do, but yet life happens. Look at verse two. When he had gone over that region and encouraged them, with many words, they came to Greece and stayed there three months. <laughs> look at the next verse. Oh, I wish this verse, Paul needs a break, but look what happens. It says, and when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sell to Syria, he decided to return again through Macedonia. So here's the thing. Paul's encouraging people. He's building them up. And while he's building them up, there's a group of his fellow countrymen, the Jews, who have a plot to kill them. And according to some commentators, it was kind of like this. 
Those hard pronounced names, there's like seven guys, they're on Paul's team. They are representatives from other churches. And they are taking up a huge love offering to help another church in need. Does anybody remember what church that was? We talked about earlier. The church at Jerusalem, right? They had gone through a famine. Many Jews that had become Christians had lost their jobs. You know, the, the temple was a big, uh, a big thing in that. But when you became a Christian, that they, they would excommunicate you. So a lot of these Jews were struggling. So Paul gathered all these church leaders together. They took up an offering. So we're not sure why the Jews wanted to kill Paul, but most likely one possible interpretation is while he was planning to sell to Syria, their goal was to kill Paul, throw him overboard and take all the money because he's got a big offering that he collected. Now, isn't that crazy? So here's the thing about Paul is that in his life, he had two groups of people. He had that group of seven men that were from different churches and they were there to support him and build him up. And then you have that group of Jews that were plotting to kill him. So in Paul's life, he had two groups of people. He had encouragers and discouragers. Can I tell you that almost 2,000 years later, you have the same two groups of people in your life? You have encouragers and discouragers. So let's start with the discouragers. Don't point at the person next to you, but does anybody have anyone in your life that after you talk to them, you feel drained, emotionally defeated? You want to crawl up in a fetal position after you talk with them? (laughs) There's a lot of quiet, like everybody, okay. Um, So here's the thing. A discourager, they discourage others because they themselves are discouraged. It's hard to give something you don't have, right? So if you're discouraged, you're going to be discouraging. Encouragers, on the other hand, they encourage people because they themselves are Encourage, right? You can't give what you don't have. So Paul had these group of seven guys encouraging him, and at the same time, this group of people that were wanting to kill him. Now, most of you don't have anyone wanting to kill you in your life, right? Unless you're a teenager, sometimes your parents can get there, right? But you know, no one, you don't have anyone wanting to kill you, but you do have people that are discouraging. You know, this summer you'll be having cookouts with certain family members and Parties coming up and and you're like, I want to talk to that person, but that person I tend to avoid. So here's the question you ask. How do I know whether I'm an encourager or discourager? It's really simple. You got to take the supermarket test. And you're like, what's a supermarket test? It's really simple. Go to the supermarket where you typically shop. And if 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 people have a tendency, once they lock eyes with you, they go the other way. And that happens more often than not. Typically, you're a discourager. (laughs) You're like, well, I've done that to others. Well, think about it. If you want to be around someone, you you, you go to where they're at. You want to have that conversation. If you avoid them, why are you avoiding them? So there's encouragers and discouragers. Colossians 4, 6 gives us this advice. The Apostle Paul in his other book says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with grace salt that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. So here's a little audience survey. It is springtime and summertime. And something we do in Appalachia, at least many of us do, is eat watermelon. How many of you like watermelon during the springtime and summer? All right. I just have a question. Curious. How many of you salt your watermelon? All right. How many of you don't salt with your watermelon? It's so interesting. The first service, like 90% salted. This service, it's 50-50. And the question is, why would you salt something that's sweet? Doesn't that take away the flavor? 
Tell me, I don't understand. Why, why do you salt something so sweet? It enhances the flavor. See, I was not given that taste, taste bud at birth because when I eat salt on a watermelon, it tastes like salt. It doesn't enhance the flavor, but for you it does. Now you're like, why are you, why are you going there? Well, Colossians, let's throw that back on the screen. Paul says that when you talk, your word should be seasoned with salt. It should encourage people. It should enhance the flavor of the conversation. It should be a preservative. It, it should make people have hope in a hopeless situation. So here's the question I want you to write down. Are you salty? Are you salty? Does Do your words make people feel like they can charge hell with a water pistol? Or do your words make people want to crawl up on the couch and say, life is too hard? The Bible says that your words have power. Now, when we see Paul, it says he used a lot of words. In fact, he preached all night. And next, day. Why did he use a lot of words? He knew that you need to build others up when you feel torn down. Now, if you look on your listening guide, and for those listening online, we can email this to you. Just let us know. This is by Dan Rockwell. We have many in our church that are either business owners, your supervisors, you have employees, or you have a leadership role in some way. And this also applies to your family. But Dan presents this kind of the context of leadership in the workplace. So the first thing he says when you're dealing with discouraged people, this is just practical, encourage in private. And the reason for that is that sometimes when you give someone praise in a group, if they're already discouraged, they can kind of posture and, no, I'm, I'm not that great. And, and it's like you've got to pull them aside and say, hey, listen, I believe in you. Listen, I, I see something good in your life. Try to find something to encourage. Now, second is empathize with, the, with their feelings. He says agree. I would change that to emphasize because we may not always agree why they feel a certain way. And can I confess I'm horrible as a parent? You shouldn't feel that way. Why are you crying over this? And, uh, you know, and sometimes it's nothing. It's like someone looked at the other sibling the wrong way. And I'm like, you shouldn't cry. But what I should be doing, and I'm coaching myself, is like, listen, I could see how you could feel upset. I would be upset too. Try to empathize with their feelings. Number three, build obstacles, or excuse me, break obstacles and challenges into bite-sized pieces. So when someone's discouraged, they feel what feeling? They feel hopeless. They feel overwhelmed. But if you can kind of break it down into bite-sized pieces, it can help them. So let's say that I have a friend that's coaching me to, Timothy, you can get in better shape. He could say, Timothy, you are 20 pounds overweight. You need to get, get with it. And, you know, that, that would hurt my feelings. For those of you who don't know, I'm trying to lose the COVID-20. I'm still working on it. But, or he could say, why don't we take the next step? Meet me in the gym, 9 o'clock. We're going to do some cardio. We're going to, you know, bite-sized pieces. And that's what we have to do with problems. We all have challenges. Are you willing to break them down into bite-sized pieces? All right, number four, use questions. Sometimes that helps draw out some solutions that they may have not thought about. Number five, remove a weight responsibility temporarily. So sometimes they're, they're bogged down with the details and sometimes it's saying, hey, let me help this. Let me take care of this for you. Number six, explain their value. So if you're an employer and you, your employees discourage, tell them what they mean to the company. Tell them what they mean. So if you're a family person, say you're retired, talk to your kids or grandkids about how much they mean to you. Number seven, get on their level. Avoid speaking as a supervisor. I learned that the hard way when I was a youth pastor in my 20s. I remember I was maybe 22 years old. It was one of my first churches. And I had a conflict with one of the youth. And I pulled out, I'm your pastor card. 
It didn't go very well. <laughs> I don't care who you are. You upset me. So I had to learn to put that card in my back pocket and not use it. So speak to them as someone that cares with empathy. Number eight, encourage rest. How many of you have ever felt much better after a day or two of rest? You thought your life was overwhelming, but you took some time. Number nine, let them talk. That's important, right? When someone's discouraged, hey, tell, tell, me, tell me how you're really doing. You know how you say, how are you doing? They're like, I'm good. You follow up with, how are you really doing? Tell me the truth. And then recognize and reward progress. In other words, progress can make incremental changes. So I'm going to give you a story. We're talking about how to encourage what type of people? Discourage people. Well, on a practical side, this happens at the dinner table all the time. How many of you parents have ever had problems with your kids eating what's healthy? My kids hardly ever. Noelle's the exception. She'll eat whatever. But the rest of the kids were were having uh, challenges. So my wife pulled out something from the 1980s. It's a special cartoon. For those of you who are younger than, say, 30, you probably have never seen this. But I'm going to play a little clip. Keep in mind, the cartoons from the 80s were a little more graphic than what we have now. So let's play this little clip. This is self-defense, by the way. (laughs) I don't know where the bull comes from. Just out of nowhere. Yes. Everyone over 40s clap. Under 30, how many of you have never seen that? Raise your hand. Okay, I see some hands. All right. So here's the thing. My wife sitting on the front row here, she's like, okay, the problem is I'm discouraged because my kids aren't eating their food. And it's discouraging as a parent if your kids are not eating healthy, right? Because you want them to grow. You want them to develop naturally, normally. So she played this video clip to my boys. And Gabriel and Lincoln, let's show the picture They were so inspired, they ate an entire container of spinach, like a family size. This this happened on Thursday. They ate two of them in the same night. And then the next morning. Okay, so that's one night. The next morning, this is what happened to Gabriel. So I said all that to say, you guys probably have someone in your life that's discouraged, right? And in this scripture passage, we see the Apostle Paul, who himself is should be discouraged. But what is he doing? He's building people up. He's encouraging them using many words. So I would encourage you guys to seek to be an encourager. Because there are far too many discouraging people out there. And isn't that discouraging that there's so many discouragers? But instead of being a taker, you be a giver. Instead of being a discourager, you be an encourager. Build each other up. All right, everyone take a breath of fresh air. This is fresh air for the suffocated soul. Number three, make the most of every opportunity because this may be your last one. Read back in verse seven in your scripture passage. It said, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So it begs the question, why in the world would Paul preach till midnight? 
It's because he was getting ready to depart the next day. So here, here's the mentality Paul had. This may be the last opportunity I have to speak to this group. This may be the last chance I have to pour my heart and soul into these disciples. So instead of giving you a little sermonette, I'm going to give you my soul. I'm going to pour my life into you. I'm going to give you all that I've got because this may be the last chance I have. In Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, Paul in another passage says, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now listen to this phrase. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Like how are the days evil? Well, bad things happen. Life throws you curveballs. But in the midst of all that, you pour your soul into what God has in front of you. Colossians 4, 5, and 6, same theme. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Now, a little side note for for those of you who are, you know, like to kind of get in the nuances of the Bible. It says they met on the first day of the week. What day was that? Here's a question you will get asked by some some Christians from other denominations. We worship on the Sabbath. Why do you guys worship on Sunday? Anybody ever been asked that question? Can I give you a little explanation? In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, they worshiped on the Sabbath because... It was the completion of the first creation. God created the world and he rested the seventh day. So under the old covenant given to the Jews, they worshiped God on the Sabbath. And by the way, the Sabbath is still the Sabbath. It's still Saturday. It hasn't changed. But you fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus rose on which day of the week? He, worshiped, he rose, up on sun, rose up on Sunday, first day of the week. And does anybody remember when the church was born? It was born on the day of what? The day of Pentecost. When is the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. It's 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. And does anybody know what day the 50th day falls on? Which day of the week? Sunday. So the church was born on a Sunday. So just like the Old Testament, they worshiped on the Sabbath to recognize the completion of the creation. Under the New Covenant in the New Testament, the Christians eventually migrated from the Sabbath to now we see them worshiping on Sunday. Because now they're acknowledging not just the first creation, they're acknowledging the new creation in Christ for the new covenant believers. So that's why Christians worship on Sunday. Now, what if someone's like, well, I think you should worship on Saturday. Why don't you worship on Saturday? Let's show the scripture from, I believe we have it on the screen, Colossians. It says, let no one judge you. Colossians 2, 6. Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. What is that talking about? Well, some people say pork's unclean or this meat. Paul said, don't let anyone judge you. We're not under that ceremonial restrictions anymore. Or with God, a religious regard to religious festival, a new moon, a celebration, or a what? It's like, don't let anyone judge you which day of the week you worship on. Because he says, these things are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in who? So here's the idea. The Old Testament was a shadow pointing us to Christ, who is the light. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. So what did he fulfill? He fulfilled all those shadows, all the ceremonial laws he fulfilled. The moral laws continue on. It's, it's, it's still don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. All those moral laws carry on. But the shadows were fulfilled in Christ. So don't let anyone judge you. And by the way. I say worship God every day of the week, right? Not just on Sunday, but every day of the week. All right, 
Let's take a breath of fresh air. All right, number four. Expect the unexpected to happen when you're making gospel ground. So what's fascinating in the next verse, it says there were many, verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room. So we know from the original language these are oil-burning lamps. How many of you have ever been in a house with an oil-burning lamp? What happens to the oxygen? If you feel like it's getting less and less, right? And they were on the third floor. They, they can't, you know, high, high, the heat's rising, the oxygen is limited. And here we have in a, a window was Eutychus. And he made his way to the window probably because there was air there. He's like, I'm going to get some oxygen for these lungs. And what happened while Paul was preaching long? He fell asleep and he died. So here's the reality. I've had people fall asleep during my preaching. I have. I haven't had anyone die yet during my preaching. It could happen, but it's never happened that I'm aware of. So here's the thing. This, this kind of encourages me. And for everyone that's a Bible teacher in here, we've got a lot of teachers. If people fell asleep during the Apostle Paul's sermons, which are far better than mine, I'm encouraged because they'll fall asleep during mine and yours too. Okay? <laughs> so here, here's the thing about it. Here's the principle I want you to take. Is that when you are making gospel ground... Be ready because Satan's going to have a counterattack. You know, going back to my week from Hades and the dentist's office and the other stories I can't share, I began to think about it from an objectivity and say, is there any coincidence that after three people get saved, we have all these baptisms, we have a record attendance, that the very next week would be an attack? I shouldn't be surprised, right? And the same is true for you. You remember when Elijah was on Mount Carmel and he stood against 850 false prophets? You remember? The very next day, what happened? Or right after that, maybe not the next day, Jezebel came. And whereas he stood up to 850 grown men, maybe some women in that bunch, he ran from one woman. Why? Because he was discouraged. And after an amazing victory can easily come a defeat. So whenever you're very high, like a victory stance, be careful because sometimes a, a testing is on the other side. All right, final breath. One more breath. All right, online, let's, let's see you. All right, number five. Ah, that felt good. Seek to remain calm in every storm because you know the master of the storm. Now, verse 10 is quite fascinating. Eutychus falls out of the w- window. And I don't necessarily, I mean, when I look at that story, I'm just like, wow. You know, Luke was a doctor and I think he had a lot of humor, right? He had a lot of humor. So he's telling the story. And notice what happens. Paul's like, hey, no one worry. Don't trouble yourselves. His life is in him. So how would you guys like it if I showed up to a funeral and I'm like, you guys, all right, this person, they're going to be all right. Don't worry. You know, like I come to your house, someone at your house dies and I'm like, it's all good. How would you guys perceive that as? Not sympathetic, right? (laughs) But how can Paul say, don't worry? It's all good. Because he knew that a resurrection was on the way. Now, what's interesting is Paul doesn't wig out. Paul doesn't fret like, oh, I'm preaching too long. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have went too long. He doesn't second guess what's going on. Instead, he stays calm and he puts the matter in God's hand. And what's interesting is Eutychus, does anybody know what his name means? 
Does anybody know what the name Eutychus means? In the Hebrew mind, names had really significant meanings. His name means fortunate. Fortunate. Now, it kind of reminds me of an ad I saw about this dog. I want to read it to you. This is a missing dog ad. This has floated around through generations. I don't know where it originated. But here's the missing dog. Three legs, blind in one eye, missing right ear, tail broken, recently castrated, answers to the name of Lucky. You know, like, what's this about? Well, the dog was just lucky to be alive, right? (laughs) It's like still alive after all that. So how is Eutychus fortunate when it's very unfortunate falling from three stories and falling to your sudden death? That's very unfortunate for Mr. Fortunate. But that's not the end of the story. What happened? Paul goes out. And if you go to the original text, it has the imagery of Paul laying on top of him, falling on him. And we get this analogy from two prophets who did in the Old Testament. Anybody know who did this in the Old Testament? Dead child. Elijah and Elisha, you know, hand to hand, mouth to mouth, body to body. You know, it's basically like I'm transforming my warmth and I'm, I'm praying to God for a miracle. So Paul knows the Old Testament. He falls upon Eutychus, does the similar situation as he learned growing up as a child, what Elijah and Elisha did. And guess what? God raised Eutychus from the dead. Now, as Paul Harvey used to once say, you want to hear the rest of the story? What's fascinating is the timing. And we're not sure if there is a time elapsed between verse 6 and verse 7. But I mentioned this is the Sunday following the Passover, which is Easter. We're not sure if there's a time frame or if it's chronological. But if it is the Sunday following Passover, Paul most likely had been preaching about Jesus rising from the dead, like we do on Easter, right? And all of a sudden, Eutychus, oh, hmm. Let's just see what God will do. So he goes down, lays on top of him, and all of a sudden, there's an Easter miracle. You ever, ever, ever seen that with Eutychus? It's, it's, it's around Easter time. So here's, here's what I want you guys just to, just to simmer in your soul. That when your soul is suffocating, when you feel discouraged, I, I want us to review these five points. Let's throw them up here. Today we talked five things. Encourage others when you are the one who what? Don't be the person that they avoid you in the Walmart shopping center. You want people running, forming lines around you. Why? Because even when you're discouraged, you still encourage people. Number two, build others up when you feel torn down. Even when you feel tore up from the floor up, guess what? You still build others up. Number three, make the most of every opportunity. Why in the world did Paul preach to midnight and then the next day? Because he knew this may be my last chance with this group. And you may not realize that this may be your last chance with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents. Always remember to let them know how much you love them, how much you're there for them, how much you appreciate. I kid you not, this may be the last chance. I don't want to be a prophet of doom, but never waste an opportunity. Number four, expect the unexpected to happen when you're making gospel ground. Do you think Paul expected someone to die during one of his sermons? Probably not, right? Number five, seek to remain calm in every storm because you know the master of the storm. So here's the thing. We serve the God who not only creates the storm, we serve the God who calms the storm. And by the way, Jesus not only calms the storm, but he walks on the water. All right, let's throw the one big idea up on the screen. 
Let's say it together. No matter what happens to you, keep on keeping on. So tomorrow, if you're discouraged, if you have a situation like my dental appointment, keep on keeping on. Tomorrow, if you get the notice that you're fired from your job, stay calm, carry on, keep on keeping on. Because here's the reason why God's got a greater plan and he's with you and he's for you and he's got good things in store for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it's really interesting how we read your word and we see Paul going from victory to people trying to kill him and throw him overboard. And Father, I want to encourage everyone here. Right now, as we pray, no one looking around, how many of you would just slip up your hand and say, Timothy, I've kind of had a week like yours or a month or a year, even a lifetime. I suffer from discouragement, depression, stress, anxiety. I just want you to pray for me. See those hands. Father, you see the hands lifted in the air. And we thank you that you're the God of hope. You're the God that speaks life into lifeless situations. So God, for those who raised their hands and those who didn't, that are discouraged, bring encouragement to them. You can put your hands down. If you're a believer here today and you're in in the middle of a storm and you've taken your eyes off Jesus in the storm, go ahead and tell him. Say, Jesus, I confess to you, I've not kept my eyes on you. Maybe I've been distracted. Maybe I've been led astray. Maybe I'm just now getting back at church because I've just been hurt. Just tell him he knows and ask for his forgiveness. Say, Jesus, forgive me for not keeping my eyes on you. As the believers continue to pray every week, we present the gospel every service every week. The gospel is the good news that if you have not yet received Jesus, today's your day. Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks And he says, if you'll let me in, I'll come in and I'll dine with you. I'll have a relationship with you. So if you have never invited Jesus into your life, if you've never been born twice, born again, right where you're at, I want you to say a prayer of faith. There's no magic in your words. It's just you reaching out to God. Say something like, dear God, I believe that Jesus died for me and he rose again. And today I want to place my complete faith in him. Just go and say, Jesus, I place my faith in you. Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of all my sins. And Jesus, I choose to follow you. No one looking around, anyone pray that prayer. You pray to receive Christ today. We had three people last week. Anyone this week pray to receive Christ. Just slip up your hand. Father, thank you that we're in the business of starting parties in heaven. Help us to continue to get the good news out. And Lord, help us to continue to follow you, even when we're in a storm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.